So go ahead and turn in your Bibles or your iPhones or iPads or whatever you have in front of you to Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at two stories in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be continuing to talk about our lift ministry. And, uh, and like I said, today is an invitation day. So you're going to be invited today to participate in something that we're going to be doing Wednesday night, coming up this Wednesday night, the 23rd, starting at really 5.30 for a meal and 6 o'clock for our first viewing. And Randy's going to talk more about that. We have some T-shirts. A bunch of us are wearing these lift T-shirts. And we're excited to share this opportunity with you. But I really want to talk a little bit about what it is that we're really pursuing and how it is that we want to help people who've experienced trauma. Now, trauma is a word that we probably don't hear nearly enough about in our communities and, and in our churches. All of us at one point of, or another in our life have experienced some kind of trauma, some type of experience that still lingers today because trauma is a lingering kind of suffering. It's something that happened in our past, but oftentimes it paralyzes people or emotionally it still grips us even now in our future. And so that if we bump up against the same kind of pain, we are like, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to experience that again. I'm never going to go through that again. And so we find ourselves making decisions or having all this emotion around something that happened long ago, but still continues to show itself in our world today. Now, here's the heart of God on the subject. All scattered throughout the Old and New Testament. God says stuff like what he says on your outline. You can see it. Psalm 107 verses 13 through 16. Look at this. Lord, help. They cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkness and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he broke down the prison gates of bronze and he cut apart their bars of iron. And if you've ever experienced in your life where you were gripped by something that was painful, hard, whether it was abuse or neglect or whatever that was, and then you cried out to God and he rescued you. And you're a witness today saying, man, God has been good to me. Anyone? Has God been good to you in the middle of your sorrow, in the middle of your pain? Now, when you think about what it is that you've been through, sometimes does it still revisit you in your mind? Sometimes when you think about it, can it still be emotionally overwhelming? And I think, you know, as, as counselors and as pastors, people who really want to help people who've experienced some deep forms of trauma, it's often difficult as to how we go about the approach of helping people to cope and work through and work past all of that. And some people, it seems like they can just move on from it easily. Others, it really tends to linger. And I just wrote down some of these examples that, that you can really be wounded. Sex too early in life can really wound people. Death that can come too sudden. Violence that seems too familiar. Betrayal from a relationship that was intimate. Neglect that is often prolonged. A violation that is normalized. 
or abuse that's too often excused. Real pain, real trauma, and it lingers. What do I do with that? And so as counselors, sometimes we tend to go in one of two directions. Both of them seem to offer hope, but oftentimes both of them fall short in really helping. Sometimes you'll hear well-meaning Christians and counselors and people who say, I know you've experienced that in the pain, but Jesus Christ sets you free from all of that. And so you just need more faith and you can overcome it. And it will never deal itself back in your mind or your emotions ever again. And it is true. Jesus can set us free from the pain of our past. But that doesn't mean that it sometimes that's almost like a cruel false sense of hope that if I'm still struggling with this, I don't have enough faith or I must not be loving or believing in God enough. And that's often not the case. The opposite of that is sometimes well-meaning Christian counselors will say, what you need to do is engage the process. You need to just immerse yourself in the pain. We need to talk about it. You need to relive it. You need to write about it. We need to soak ourselves in it and embrace it so that it can lose its grip on us. And so one seems to be an, an uncruel, just a, just a cruel, uh, false sense of hope. The other seems to be this diagnosis of lingering, ongoing, hold on to the trauma. Both of them are false. And yet, both of them are probably parts of the process that we need. How, how do you deal with someone who's gone through trauma? Jesus... All through scripture, you see it in the Old Testament and you see Jesus doing it. He'll just come and partner with people who are experiencing heartache and pain. And he'll just unconditionally love them. It was Paul who went to, you know, God prayed three times. Would you remove this from me? Would you remove it from me? Please remove it from me. And the answer back from God is my grace is sufficient for you. And we know one day there is a place where there'll be no more pain, no more heartache, no more sorrow, no more tears. Until that day, we want to learn how to partner with each other well, secure each other in the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ, and help each other through our trauma and our woundedness to totally trust in God. Now, Mark chapter 5 has two different individuals that we're going to meet. The first one is a man, and he's been so bad in his behavior, he's been kicked out of his town. Now, he, was, he had a family, and I don't know what happened in his family. We have to read between the lines, and so a lot of it's just preacher talk. Now, you can read the story, but it's unbelievable. And Jesus made a very intentional decision with his apostles in chapter 4. And evening you know, came and Jesus said to his apostles, we need to go to the other side of this lake. And they got in the boat and they just started making their way across. A storm came up, blew them way off course. Eventually, you know, in the middle of the night, they finally get to the other side of the shore and they pull right up to a graveyard. And a graveyard not like ours where everything is six feet underground, but it's holes cut in the sides of these cliffs and the rocks where they took their deceased and, and put them there as their final resting place for their body. And then their town is a long way away. And so Jesus comes right there. And the last thing you expect to see at a graveyard in the middle of the night is anything alive. 
But this man has been cast there. So if you just pause in the story and begin to think about that, you begin to think, okay, something, he was so bad in his home that his family probably went to counseling, probably asked, what can we do? We can't do this anymore. Something has to stop. Something has to change. And so he was kicked out of his home into the city and the city didn't want it. So they finally kicked him out. They tried to subdue him. They tried to chain him. They tried to hold him down. Nothing worked. So they finally chained him up at the graveyard, cast him out of the city and told him he's not welcome. What would that be like? What is the, what would it be like? What is the pain of being removed? What would it feel like to you if somebody said, I don't, I don't want to deal with you anymore in my life. I don't ever want to have anything else to do with you. Leave now. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. Maybe you know someone who that has happened to. Maybe in your own family some, you've experienced something like that. What is that like? And in this man's case, he had something else going on inside of him that was a spiritual condition. And Jesus wants to deal with it. Jesus knows at his heart, in him, he is a good man and he needs rescuing. Somebody has to help him. It's not good enough that the whole town has just said, we're not going to deal with you. So Jesus gets in the boat and he goes over. And when you're reading in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him and bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And then it's almost like everything changed in his next sentence. He said, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. It's almost like he's saying, it's been hard enough for me to deal with everybody else. I couldn't stand it if you did it also. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, Actually, it was that this, this demon, this, this inside him, this other voice. It's like, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. And then look at this next line. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. It's almost like even the evil world knows isolation is torture. And so... When you've experienced the trauma or something happened and people wanted to be removed from you or you felt like nobody wanted to be your friend and you had nowhere to go, no one you could trust, what is that like? And so if you continue reading the story, the only reason Jesus went over there was for that man. And Jesus healed him and cast these demon spirits out of him. And the man's life changed overnight because of the healing of Jesus. But the effects still lingered. Because when the townspeople came out, they still didn't want that man to go back into their town. And they didn't want Jesus to go into their town. And then the man, if you read the end of the story, begged Jesus, will you let me come with you? Can I come with you? I mean, in his mind, he's still thinking, my family doesn't want me. The town doesn't want me, but, but I'm still alive. I need to do something. Where can I go for healing? But Jesus said, no, you go to your home. You go back to your town and you tell them the good things that I've done for you. 
in his case, eventually the town and I guess even his family received him. And he turned many people over to trust in Jesus themselves. In the next story, it's a woman. Her situation is much different. She had a medical condition that she didn't want to talk about in public. And it was embarrassing. And it was something that gripped her for 12 years. It's the kind of thing that, when some, that somebody doesn't even want to tell you they have a doctor appointment. Because they're too afraid that you're going to ask, oh yeah, what's going on? And she just didn't even want to have to share it. But she had gone from one doctor to another doctor to another doctor. And she couldn't stop this bleeding, which in her society made her impure, unclean. And it kept her from engaging anybody in relationship and conversation. And it didn't just happen just for a small amount of time. The Bible says it was over 12 years. And even though she had gone to many doctors, her situation got worse and worse. Well, Jesus comes into the town. But somebody gets to Jesus first. And he says, hey, can you come with me? My daughter's about to die. And, and, and it's very urgent and it's very important. And we need to hurry and go there. And Jesus says, yes. So there's a whole crowd that's gathering. Jesus is going over to Jairus' house. He's going to heal his daughter. Let's go. So they're going. They're making a beeline. They're um, very fast. And this woman breaks the law just to get close to Jesus. Here's what the law said. Go back and read it in Leviticus 12 and Leviticus 15. If someone is dealing with something where, where they are bleeding, uh, and a female, she cannot be around her family. She has to separate herself. No one can touch her. She cannot touch anyone. No one can hug her. No one can be, she can't eat at the table. She can't clean house. She can't engage even in a simple meal. To feed them, you have to take their food, put it in a bowl, put it on the floor as far away from people as possible. The family can engage and eat, and she has to stay isolated. Oftentimes, she has to be separated out of the home. Now, imagine you're carrying your greatest wound. The only thing you need is a hug and an embrace. I mean, just imagine... Uh, Imagine a, a, a female, a young mother who experiences something where there's like a miscarriage. And it's not true today, but in the old law, she could not be consoled by her husband. She couldn't put her head on his shoulder. He couldn't hold her and just love her in the name of the Lord. She'd have to go through it in isolation by herself. And imagine that happening for 12 years. And this woman makes a decision because she's heard about Jesus. She's not supposed to be anywhere in public or around anybody. And she breaks the law and moves through the middle of everybody because the Bible said she thought, if I can just touch his robe, his prayer shawl, I can be made whole. And she moved through that crowd. No doubt a lot of them knew who she was. No telling what she heard in her ear. No telling how hard that was and what she felt like. Until she finally reached Jesus and she touched his clothes. And instantly she was healed. And Jesus stopped. Whoa! And everybody stopped. Look at what he said. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? 
His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing in around you. How can you ask who touched me? Come on. <laughs> but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at her knees and in front of him told him what she had done. The book of Mark, I mean the book of Luke, here inserts this phrase. And Jesus listened while she told the whole story. Everybody around Jesus is like, come on, we got to get to this daughter. She's about to die. But Jesus just stopped and gave her his full attention. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Just calling her daughter, welcoming her back in as family, embracing her and telling her, your healing is complete and announcing it to everybody so they'll no longer keep her in isolation. Your suffering is over. It doesn't make the pain any less. Years into the future, she still remembered what that was like. But Jesus brought her back in. This ministry of lift is all about running after the children in our community who have suffered a lot and opening up our arms and embracing them with the love of Jesus. I want to introduce you to Randy Lawrence. She is the coordinator of Lyft. This all started a couple of years ago with Taryn and Jesse Howell. And it's continued to grow and grow and grow. And now Randy is the coordinator. So come on up, Randy. Randy is unbelievably talented with organization. She and her husband, Brian, who's sitting down here, have a passion in their heart for God. She'll tell you their own story, their own journey as they started getting closer to God and asking God, what is it that you want us to do in this ministry? And she's going to invite you, you know, into this whole process and to join us. Would you welcome her to the stage for me? Randy Lawrence. Hi, good morning, everybody. Like Rick said, my name is Randy Lawrence. My husband, Brian, down here on the front row and I, we have two little boys, Jacob, who's three, and Nolan, who's one. Um, we've been coming to First City for about eight and a half years or so now, except for this little two-year period that God sent us to Louisiana. It's a whole different story, but we're very glad to be back now and um, with y'all at First City. The... Um, the way that God has been moving in our hearts um, as a family to get involved into foster care has been a gradual thing. Um, I grew up with Jesse Howell, and if you know Jesse and Taryn and their story and their involvement with foster care, I think it's really hard not to become convicted um, to try to help the kids in our community some way. Um, when you hear the stories that she would tell. So God put it on our hearts that we should become foster parents. But um, at the time we decided that that would be in a few years from now, we've got two little kids, we've got our hands full and um, we had kind of put it off, I guess, for a little bit. Um, God had other plans. He very clearly told us that we need to be doing this right now. So we have gone through our training and have finished um, all that we need to do to become foster parents. We're waiting on all the paperwork and should be open in the next few weeks. Um, so we appreciate and covet your prayers um, if you are willing to do that for us. But 
when I heard that First City was um, chasing after the hurting kids in our community through foster care, that's really what um, urged me or got me motivated to really get on board and involved and see how I could help with Lyft. And um, our whole goal with Lyft is to help these children. Um, we have a major foster care crisis right now in our community, especially with the opioid addictions and um, a lot of children being taken out of the home and not enough places to take care of them. Um, our ultimate goal is to help them we're trying to do that in several different ways. We want to be able to help support current foster families. We want to be able to recruit new foster parents. We're going to try to reach out to other congregations in order to do that, um, try to help them recruit people in their congregations. And ultimately, we want to be able to help the biological families, um, families who have either lost their kids and are in care right now and are trying to reunite, or families who are at risk um, for that happening. Because ultimately, God's goal is for families to remain together, and the best thing for those children is to be with their parents most of the time. And and that's what we want to see happen. Um, our goal, well, before we can go out and conquer this whole crisis um, or attempt to using God's power, we need to take care of those here in our own church family first and really get that down pat before we try to go out and do anything else. Um, like Rick said, we had, I think he said, we have four or five families right now who are fostering at First City. And um, our goal is to get our entire congregation to wrap around those families to support them well so that they continue being foster parents um, and eventually hopefully more of us will become foster parents and we'll be able just to support the system and support those children well. So Wednesday night was supposed to initially be like a sign-up night like hey come decide what you can do to help us out but the more we talked about it the more we realized that it needed to be more of an experience. Um, if we're bringing more foster children into our classrooms, into our small groups, we're going to have them down in the coffee house being among us and part of our family. Um, we felt the need to try to educate or open our eyes as a congregation to what these children have been through and um, the effects that trauma can have on them and um, the difficulty in dealing with that trauma. Um, so that when we see a child acting out or pitching a fit downstairs, you know, we have a little bit more grace and mercy and understanding maybe what they've been through and what they're trying to deal with um, just as a whole congregation being, um, being aware of that, I guess, and sensitive to it. So we came up with the idea of an art museum um, upstairs. All, everything's going to be taking place on the third floor. We're going to start out with a movie. I think we've got our kind of diagram here. We're starting out with a movie. And because um, these first two rooms, the movie and the reality room, are pretty heavy um, subject matters. And so we're asking that only children high school aged and older come through. We're going to have free child care provided for infants through middle school. So they're welcome to come. Um, we're going to have tacos downstairs before your showing time. So come, let the kids eat, and then we're going to take them back to the red room while the high schoolers and adults um, walk through the whole museum. So we're going to have a movie in the first room, 
It's going to last about 15 minutes or so. And then the reality and the hope room are two art exhibit rooms. Um, we're going to have interactive displays, some things for you to actually do personally, um, and stories to listen to. So lots of different um, things to see and experience that we hope will make the plight of um, the children in our community uh, more vivid to you. Um, the last room is our sign-up room. And we're going to have our staff members back there as well as people in the community um, to try to help you find out where you fit in this puzzle of trying to um, help this foster care crisis. We um, will have community members there from two different recruiting agencies who license foster parents. If that's something that you want to get more information on or have already made the decision to become foster parents, they'll be able to help you with that. We also have success stories. Um, people who have been through foster care, had really rough times, come out on the other side being um, productive, people who are giving God the glory and... Um, who just have great stories, inspirational stories. They'll be there to answer questions for you too. Um, and then, okay, so the different kind of levels of service that you can provide. We're trying to set this up just like we do our growth track and our green, dream teams. Um, when you go through growth track, we talk about your specific talents, what you're interested in, and we try to focus on that um, when we talk about your service to God's kingdom. And we're going to do the same thing with foster care. So what we're calling resources would be a number of different things that you could do to help a foster family. You could cook meals, you could babysit, you could do lawn care. Um, I know Rick had told me of a few different gentlemen who were like, I don't really know what I could do to help, you know, and he said, well, don't, don't you have a fishing boat? That would be great. Like you should have, you know, a day when you can take foster families and some of their kids out fishing. That would be wonderful experience, you know, or I'm a basketball coach. What could I do? You think they would be interested in coming and playing some basketball and me trying to teach them some basic skills? Yes. Yes, they would be very interested in that. So no matter where your talent lies, where your interests are, um, we're going to be able to help you try to figure that out um, in that last room up there. So if you want to start thinking about what you might like to do, but we'll also have people to walk through that with you. Our next level of support is called a liaison, and this is going to be a little bit more personal um, with the foster families. We want to ease the burden on our foster families of trying to coordinate all this support. We didn't want to put all the communication on them. So their liaison is their go-between, between the resources and myself and um, getting them the help that they need. As far as scheduling meals and lawn care or babysitting or whatever it needs to be, they're going to be their emergency phone call in the middle of the night where it's like, hey, I have a two-year-old. It's 1030 at night. I need a bed. I need clothes. I need diapers. Whatever it is, um, that person would be able to take care of those needs and kind of be on call for them. We also are using our liaisons to be um, kind of mentors for our foster families. You know, foster parents pour out so much into their kids, and it requires so much attention and focus 
on trying to heal their poor little selves um, that oftentimes we can neglect taking care of ourselves and our own health. And in order to be able to continue being foster parents, they need to be healthy and they need to be supported as individuals um, outside of being foster parents. So the liaisons will also be um, checking on them mentally, spiritually, relationally, physically, you know, making sure that they're taken care of as well as helping coordinate the support that they need. Um, the next level up, I guess, um, as far as organizationally would be me. I'm probably going to be the person contacting a lot of our resources, being like, Mr. Bonifer, you said that you would help someone wash their windows and you haven't done that yet. Can I help set you up with Jesse and Taryn and go do that next week? So you'll probably be hearing from me um, and I would love help if anyone would like to help me do that. Also, you know, the highest level of involvement here is becoming a foster parent. Um, I know that that's a scary step for a lot of people, especially if you don't know a lot about the system. So this whole um, resource liaison is set up and designed to um, familiarize yourself with it so that maybe one day you would... Um, either become more involved, advocate, try to recruit foster parents, or become a foster parent yourself. Um, that's kind of the setup and what to expect. And as far as logistics go, we're going to have four different movie showings um, at 6, 6.20, 6.40, and 7. And we're going to have tacos, like I said, downstairs. So we're asking that you come 30 minutes before your movie showing to grab something to eat, take the kids back to the Red Room, and then to come up and watch the movie and then proceed through the art exhibits at your own pace and um, answer questions and you can be out of here. So we really would love for everyone to be there. My husband and I are gonna be downstairs at the table across from the Welcome Center handing out tickets. So if you don't know when you can come, feel free just to show up the night of and we're not requiring that you have a ticket. We're just trying to space things out so that we don't have our whole congregation going through at once. We want you to be able to experience everything um, well yourself without being crowded. So that's about it. I just wanted to tell you that the whole purpose of this, if you could pray over the Lift ministry, we would really appreciate that. Our hope that this that this ministry and this event is going to bring us closer to God's heart, which we believe is the heart of the hurting children in our community. So we appreciate your prayers and come see us for a movie ticket. Outstanding. Can you give her a thank you? That's outstanding. I, I really love everything about it. That There's a place for all of us to get involved. You may be saying, well, you know, uh, I'm really busy, and I don't know if I have enough time to do all of that, or I might be inconsistent, but whatever you can offer, it's going to be great. Even if it's, I have extra income, and I can pay 50 bucks so that a family can go to Walmart and get a gift card. We'll, we will be purchasing gift cards like that, so they can buy formula and diapers in, all, in the middle of the night or whenever they receive a child. And so, by the way, if you want to do that and you want, to, you want your giving or you want to increase or whatever that is so that you can support it, all you have to do is continue just to give it to First City Church. So we've already created a line item for that's called Lift Resources, and we've already put money into that. Anything up and over what we have as our normal operations is going to be going to this ministry. 
And so thank you for your generosity. But there are people like, I can cut grass, and so we'll, we'll cut grass. Or I can cut hair, or I can provide groceries. Or my, my role, Suzanne and I, are going to be liaisons for Jim and Jenny Beecher. We are in a small group with them, and so we're going to be liaisons for them. Actually, our whole small group is going to wrap around them, and we can't wait to do that. My second role is what you're going to see Wednesday night when you come at between 6 and 8 that we've created all these exhibits, it's going to become an, an, a road show. And we're calling up other congregations, and we're going to be taking that to as many different churches as we can. Lift itself is going to be its own 501c3. And so, it, it, you know, how churches were like, well, that's your ministry, and y'all do that, and we're going to do something else. We're going to say, no, Lift is its own, its, its own ministry. It will end up having its own board. It will, and, and so we as a church are just giving it away and inviting other churches to join it. We've already had other businesses to ask us, can we help support it? This morning at first service, there's a family who was here for the first time, but they're moving to Texas. And they said, we love everything about that ministry. We want to know, can we take Lyft to San Antonio? And so we're going to be equipping, you know, them to take everything that we've done, everything that we put together and start it out there. And so you never know what God is going to do with this. But the more we come together, pray over it and all as a family get engaged. God is going to do something so great that only he will get the glory. Amen. So this is your invitation. This is your opportunity. Here is the one verse that we pull out of the Bible, and this was God. God is like, you spent all your time doing all this other stuff. Let me tell you what I want to do. And this is in Psalm 82. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. And deliver them from the grasp of evil people. I want you running after the pockets of pain in your community. And God said, I will bless you. As you go do that, because that's my heart. And so we're just going to partner with God in what's in his heart for these people who are hurting. Okay, now, what's our first step? Wednesday night is our second step. I want you all to come at, 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 uh, on the, uh, Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, or whenever your movie time is, and just learn about it. And then ask God what we can do next. But our first step is prayer. And so this time right now is for you and God. And we just want to pause and offer this time. We have communion that's set up front, set in the back and upstairs. And this is the time where we just stop and tell Jesus, thank you for what you did. He left heaven, came down and showed us how to get to God. He showed us the love and grace and mercy of God our Father. He went to the cross and gave up his life. As a victory over sin that can plague us and over death that can defeat us. And he won the victory. And now he said, I've gone to prepare a place for you in heaven. And so communion is all about celebrating Jesus. As I take the, the cracker and as I drink the juice, it's just saying, thank you, Jesus, for giving your body, your blood, your life so that I could be set free. And then the rest of the time, we're going to just have about 10 minutes where we just offer up prayer. This is the place where we ask for prayer. This is the place where we gather and bow. And so what we want is if you've never just spent 10 minutes in prayer, today is your day. 
And so you can come up. I'm going to have everybody stand here in just a minute. And then whenever you're comfortable, as a family, you can come up. Individually, you can come up and share in communion. And then go back to your seat. Offer up your own prayer. There are prayer cards in the pew racks in front of you. You can write out a prayer. You can put it in the orange boxes or leave it on your pew. And we'll take them. And we're going to be praying over them all week. You can pray with somebody else. We have prayer teams. I'm going to be up over here on the side. And so we have other who are already prepared. And they'll stand in the corners. And they'll pray with you if that's what you want them to do. But this is the place where we ask for prayer. And if there's anything we can do to partner with you well, then this is the place where we have those conversations. So this next 10 minutes is really just yours. I don't want us to rush out of here. You know, we were so quick to rush out. Let's just pause, celebrate Jesus with communion, and spend some time in prayer. And just ask him, God, what are you calling me to do? What, what can I do in this ministry, in this effort, for your name and for your glory? So why don't you stand with me? If we'll all just stand together. I'm going to offer up a prayer. And then the next 10 minutes or so is your time just with God. Then I'll come back up and I'll help close out our worship. Let's pray together. Lord God, in this room, in this moment, let this house be a house of prayer. All over your people, we, your men, your women, your sons, your daughters. We are calling out to you, our Father. And just lifting up our hearts and our words. We need your blessing on our life. We need your healing on our bodies. We need your spirit to comfort us and guide us. Jesus, we want to tell you thank you. And so be glorified in these moments where now we just... Spend time with you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this is your time. You're free. Come and share in communion. Let's go into our time of prayer.